FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Advocating for Justice with Arthur Schwartz, heard Mondays at 5 p.m. It is now 6 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News presented by The Independent. Stay tuned. You're listening to the WBAI Evening News for Monday, March 25th from The Independent, New York's progressive newspaper. I'm your host, Lydia McMullen-Laird. On tonight's program, Trump signs an order recognizing Golan Heights as Israeli territory. New York State is on the verge of solitary confinement reform. And Lee Zishi and Robert Wood join us to discuss a controversial pipeline in the New York Harbor. Donald Trump said Monday the release of special counsel Robert Mueller's full report won't bother me at all. This as congressional Democrats clamor for the Justice Department to release the entire document and not just the summary from Attorney General William Barr. Democrats are holding closed-door strategy meetings Monday evening for their own investigations of obstruction of justice, Russian election interference, and other matters related to the president. Donald Trump signed a proclamation on Monday recognizing Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, reversing more than a half-century of U.S. policy in the Middle East. Standing alongside Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu at the White House, Trump made formal a move he announced in a surprise tweet last week. And the Democratic leaders of the New York State Legislature said they're making progress during budget talks with Governor Andrew Cuomo. The update from Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty and Senate Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins came after they emerged from another closed-door negotiation with Cuomo on Monday morning. The two legislative leaders wouldn't say whether they expect the budget to include proposals to legalize recreational marijuana, eliminate cash bail for criminal defendants, or impose new vehicle tolls in central Manhattan. A new budget is due by April 1st. In New York City Sunday, a group of elected officials and community advocates spoke out to oppose the inclusion of congestion pricing in the New York State budget. Opponents argue the plan would burden New York's middle-class families and small businesses who are already struggling with the rising cost of living. But supporters like the Riders Alliance say the plan is crucial to fund repairs to the transit system. And a plan to reform solitary confinement now has enough support to pass the New York State Assembly. 32 New York State Senators are co-sponsoring the Halt Solitary Confinement Act. The Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement said in a statement Monday, New York is on the verge of making the most sweeping reforms to the torture of solitary confinement in the country. Governor Cuomo has introduced a counterproposal which would scale back the use of solitary confinement, but advocates warn his proposal doesn't go far enough and prisoners could still be held in solitary indefinitely. And on Wednesday, around 1,000 people gathered for the Green New Deal for New York Accountability Forum. More on that and updates from the Sunrise Movement with our guest John Kirsch in part two of our program. Um, but first, we're starting out with our segment on the Williams Pipeline. Here in the studio, I have Lee Zishi from Z- Sane Energy and Robert Wood from 350 Brooklyn. Thank you both for joining us. 
Thanks yeah, for having thanks us. Thanks so much for having us on. Um, so, Lee, let's start with you. The Williams Pipeline is a proposed project that has been causing quite a controversy in the recent months here in New York. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what this project is about and why it's been causing so much tension and conflict? Yeah, so even though New York State banned fracking in 2014, we are still having an expansion of frack gas infrastructure. So the Williams Company, which is an Oklahoma-based company, has proposed to build a 23-mile-long pipeline that would bring frack gas from Pennsylvania through New Jersey, and then they want to dig up 23 miles of New York Harbor So this pipeline would go under the harbor and connect to a pipeline that already exists off the coast of the Rockaways. So it would pass Staten Island, near Coney Island, and then come very close to the Rockaways. And that would be to bring frack gas into New York City, they say, for heating. So in the Williams statement, in some of their press releases, they have, uh, you know, stated that they picked a route that would protect marine environment and that they have done studies on these toxins. Um, But opponents of the pipeline argue that there are a lot of industrial era um, toxins that are buried underneath the seabed. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into what the construction would do to the marine life um, and and where this would affect New Yorkers and, and marine life around New York? Yeah, so as you were saying, for a very long time, industrial toxins and heavy metals were dumped into New York Harbor. And in the 70s, um, there was regulations passed where that started to clean up. So we're actually seeing the harbor kind of return to its health because all of those heavy metals and industrial toxins like lead, arsenic, mercury, PCBs, those have all now sunken well below the surface floor. And that's why the harbor is kind of returning to health. But this process would not only trench up those toxins and reintroduce them to the water column, um, like into the water column, there's also just a lot of turbidity and sediment. So that whole process alone, even without the toxins that we're worried about, makes it hard for certain animals to um, to lay eggs and eat, like the things that live on the bottom. Um, that turbidity also makes it hard for whales and dolphins to see, um, as well as that actual construction itself makes a lot of noise, which is very difficult for whales who need to use sonar and sound you know, under the water to get around. Um, and also there's something called thermal discharge um, when they're doing this process, so that just changes the entire temperature of the water. So we're concerned that all of those things will affect marine life, will affect fish, will affect, you know, keystone species like horseshoe crabs that live along the bottom. And yeah, we're just, it's, first of all, you know, it's really unnecessary to begin with. So why, why risk that? So I want to return for a second to the issue of fracking. As you said, New York as a state has banned fracking, but you have some experience working in Pennsylvania as a filmmaker. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you've seen there and the effects um, of fracking that has and how this project is connected to that? Because pipelines are big networks. Of course, this is just an arm of that. Um, But can you talk about the interconnectedness of this part of the pipeline with what's going on in Pennsylvania? Yeah, and I mean, so one of the reasons that New York banned fracking is because so many people from Pennsylvania who had had their water Um, contaminated by fracking or who could no longer breathe the air around their house because they had a fracking well in their backyard. You know, their stories, they came to New York to tell their stories. You know, they brought the contaminated water to Albany. So it's because people from Pennsylvania told us what was happening there that that was a big part of New York State banning fracking. But that's still happening there. And it's it's 
right now pretty much the industry has too much gas and so they're trying to figure out new markets for this you know we know that this gas is very bad for the climate we know we need to get off fossil fuels but this you know frack gas is kind of the fossil fuel industry's last gasp they want us to build a bridge to renewable energy is what they call it so they're hoping to create new markets to get this gas out of the marcellus shale in Pennsylvania, where it's affected so many families. And one of the reason, one of the ways they want to do that is to bring more gas into New York City for heating. So that's exactly what this pipeline would do. It would bring gas where, from these areas where people can't sometimes bathe their children in their water because it's been so contaminated um, and bring that into New York City. Now, there's been a lot of opposition to the pipeline. Of course, there's also support for the pipeline. Um, there's a lot of unions that support it. There's business organizations that support it. Um, and the main arguments on that side are uh, that this would bring jobs and also that there is sort of a necessity for this energy in New York. Robert Wood, I want you to ad address for a moment um, the idea that, you know, we need this natural gas in New York and that there might be a shortage um, and, and just kind of you know, that whole debate because that has been quite heated uh, recently here in New York City. Right. So the the main PR point that uh, Williams and National Grid both are making is that we need this gas because there's a shortage. And the shortage results from this city-mandated um, conversion of boilers from the dirtiest oils to uh, natural gas. They're saying that in order to do these conversions, um, we, we have to have more gas. So uh, we've suspected that, that was not true for the longest time. And we um, just commissioned a study, uh, 350.org just commissioned a study from a former regional director at the DEC that found that this is simply not true, that all the dirtiest oils, um, the boilers converted away from the dirtiest oils at least three years ago. And in the case of NYCHA buildings, uh, a decade ago. So in other words, the number one PR point that Williams and National Grid is pushing, uh, we've shown to be simply not true. Um, there's also the fact that Williams added capacity um, in New York City as recently as three years ago. And it was about twice, uh, excuse me, it was about 50% of the capacity of the pipeline that, that is being proposed. Um, and when Williams did that, they declared that it was more than enough to meet the heating needs of the 2017-2018 uh, heating season. Um, so there, it just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. And the fact of the matter is that um, these are companies that stand to make a tremendous amount of money on this project. Um, Williams, in particular, is guaranteed a 14% return on equity. Um, regardless of whether the pipeline's needed, because they're basically just the middleman. Their job is to get the gas to National Grid. And then National Grid, of course, um, has tons of incentives to um, get this pipeline built. One is that um, this gas could potentially be used for export at some point. Um, you have to look at these projects in the long term. Um, the pipelines are, are meant to last for 40 or 50 years, and you have to believe that with how lucrative the export market is right now with natural gas, that that's got to be part of this too. So there's some, you know, bigger developments that might argue, well, you know, it's, it's, it's great that there's renewable energy on its way. And it's great that there are some 
some things that are being developed, but uh, you know, if I'm a developer and I want to develop a project right now, is there enough energy and are renewables, you know, moving fast enough? So I want either of you to kind of address that point because that's come up multiple times in, in the hearings, um, hearing from people who, who want to have maybe bigger scale projects that are worried about these energy needs. Yeah, I mean, geothermal and air source heat pumps are viable options that we can do right now. Um, I think what we do need, though, is we need state support to make sure that, you know, big developers, they can they can afford this, you know, and we know the cost of the climate impacts of not doing this are way more. But for, you know, low-income people, we need the state to do what they're doing right now in Westchester, where there's a moratorium on new gas hookups um, in the Con Ed territory. And that's to put state dollars behind this to make sure that the most vulnerable people are not being left out of this transition and that they can afford geothermal air source heat pumps. But the technology exists. You know, all we really need is the political will behind it. That's the one missing key piece right now. So how do we address that? Um, can you kind of, both of you, speak a little bit, too, about the state's role in this and Cuomo's role in this and why activists are pushing so hard um, Cuomo and what kind of legislation might play a role in this this argument and this issue of the Williams pipeline. Yeah, so first of all, Governor Cuomo and the DEC have the ability to stop the pipeline right away. Um, it needs a federal permit. We know that there, that Williams is going to get that federal permit. The agency in charge rubber stamps all pipelines. Um, but Governor Cuomo and the DEC can deny the Williams Company a water quality permit so they cannot begin construction. And they need to make that decision by May 16th. So, you know, we're encouraging Governor Cuomo and the DC to not wait until the very last minute. They have waited too long on pipelines before and actually lost the ability to deny pipelines. So pipelines they said no to got built anyway. So we're asking them, you know, stop this by Earth Day and send a strong message to the fossil fuel industry that New York is not going to build any more frack gas infrastructure. And then the other part of that is, like I said, you know, we need NYSERDA funds. We need our clean energy dollars that our taxpayer dollars are already going to, to actually go to these projects to build community solar, to build geothermal and air source heat pumps. There are non-gas heating alternatives, and that's exactly where we should be putting all of our effort and money. Robert, I wanted to go back to you for a second. New York Communities for Change came up with a report a few weeks ago um, that made some connections between Governor Cuomo um, and some Williams lobbyists and, and, and some some types of money being exchanged, that type of thing. What do you think the influences might be in that realm and in, in terms of Governor Cuomo as he goes forward in making this decision or influencing the DEC in making this decision? The It's really scary when you look at it because Cuomo has at least six people that we know of who that are in either very close to him professionally or or personally who also have really close ties to Williams. Um, one is his uh, former campaign manager, Maggie Moran, who worked for him from, I think, July of 2018 until I'm not sure when she actually stepped down. But Maggie Moran was actually a lobbyist for Williams. So shortly before being uh, picked up by the Cuomo campaign, she was flying around the country giving talks on natural gas advocacy, infrastructure advocacy. Um, there's a man named Bill Mulrow, who was the chair of uh, Cuomo's re-election campaign. Um, Mulrow was on the uh, board of Con Edison and a senior advisor to Blackstone, which has a billion dollars invested in Williams. Um, and the list goes on and on. There's a man named Tony Burgos, who's um, one of Cuomo's top donors, who 
is not only a lobbyist for Williams, but is also a lobbyist for National Grid, who would be buying all the gas that the Williams pipeline would, would bring in. So no matter how you look at this, um, Cuomo approving this pipeline would not look good, even if you took away all the damage it would do to the environment, uh, all the climate change stuff, the fact that the gas isn't needed, it would still possibly look corrupt. And so that's the atmosphere in, in which he's going to be making this decision. And Lee, just for the final question here, um, there has been some opposition and there's been the argument that, you know, the people who I'm sorry, there's been some su supporters of the pipeline who make the argument that the opposition is actually a very small share of people um, with a very specific environmental interest and that there's actually broad-based support for this because of the jobs that we're bringing, because of the energy argument. Um, I just wanted to give you kind of a chance to respond um, to that argument and, and to the, this idea that, you know, maybe there is a large swath of the business community and um, also the union community that does actually want this to come in and supports the jobs that it may bring to the community. Yeah, I mean, this summer I was out in the Rockaways getting petition signatures to Governor Cuomo, and within an hour I had 90 people on out on the beaches on the Rockaways, you know, sign that thing. I needed to bring more. Anytime I talk to anybody that there's a frack gas pipeline being proposed off the coast of the Rockaways, they're against it. You know, we had over 10,000 comments submitted to the DEC against this pipeline. Over, I think it's about 16,000 people now have signed our petition to Governor Cuomo. Uh, over 60 elected officials from the New York City area have come out against it. I mean, New Yorkers were vehemently opposed to fracking. And when they hear that there's a frack gas pipeline proposed, they're completely against it. I think the biggest thing right now is people just don't even know that there's a pipeline, you know, proposed right off the coast of New York City. So, I mean, my experience has been there's a very wide opposition to this pipeline. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WBAI 99.5. Um, we're speaking about the Williams Pipeline. And we're going to move just in a second to our second segment. Um, but just as the final wrap-up here, the DEC is expected to make its final decision on whether to approve, delay, um, or deny the permits for this pipeline by May 15th. Um, and we'll have an article on this in our next issue of the Indy, so look for that um, coming out next week in boxes all over the city in your local libraries and community centers. Um, thank you, Lee and Robert, both so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. And stay tuned for our second segment where we will be talking about the Green New Deal and the Sunrise Movement. Welcome back. You're listening to Indie Radio News on WBAI 99.5. I'm here with Lee Zishi from Sane Energy and Jonathan Kirsch from the Sunrise Movement. Thank you both for joining me. 
Thanks a lot. I'm excited to be here. Um, so I wanted to start with you, Lee. On Wednesday, last Wednesday, almost a thousand people came out for the Green New Deal for New York Accountability Forum. Um, can you give us a little bit of a sense of what people were demanding at the state level and what people were pushing for um, from Governor Cuomo? Yeah, I mean, the Williams pipeline that we just talked about was a very big deal. At one point, you know, the whole crowd got up and started chanting, you know, stop the Williams pipeline, Cuomo. Uh, I think people were also asking that climate legislation get passed and that it it goes farther than the Green New Deal that Governor Cuomo has pushed. Um, there were also representatives there to make sure that this is a just transition, that all communities are being served, um, as well as some people who are, you know, working on um, transit and, and making sure that that is part of our transition. And it's not just the electricity sector, but the entire economy that is is being overhauled here to become more sustainable. Now, some people might not know that New York actually has its own Green New Deal that's separate from the National Green New Deal. Can, Lee, can you explain for a second what that difference is and what it would do for New York? Yeah, so as part of his 2019 justice agenda, Governor Cuomo you know, proposed that a Green New Deal for New York. And so that would mean um, 100% renewable energy for the electricity sector only by 2040. So this goes farther than you know previous climate announcements, but that falls short of the 2030 goal that the has been proposed on the federal level, and that also addresses the entire economy and not just the electricity sector, so, you know, how we power our buildings. Um, you know, there's some talk in it from Governor Cuomo about a just transition and making sure that this, you know, addresses environmental justice. There's not that much there on that. We're not really sure what that means. Um, Governor Cuomo has also, put, you know, proposed putting together some kind of, you know, climate I forget the exact word, but, you know, a committee that's going to look at this. Um, once again, there's not a lot of details. So it's it's a lot of talk, but, I mean, we've heard that from Governor Cuomo before and not actually seen a lot of action on the ground. Now, on the national level, Jonathan, I want to pivot to you for a second. Um, a lot of people, you know, were paying attention to the Green New Deal when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez announced it, and now it's like kind of fallen off off the wayside a little bit. Um, but you guys at the Sunrise Movement have been paying attention to this every step of the way, um, and there are some exciting updates. So can you give us a little bit of an insight on what you're working on now and, and what the latest is on the National Green New Deal? Yeah, don't worry. You're going to hear a lot more about the Green New Deal. We're going to make sure of that. Basically, uh, for example, Mitch McConnell is actually going to bring the resolution to a vote in the Senate uh, this week, as soon as Tuesday. Uh, and it's kind of a sham vote, right? He just wants to get Democrats on the record and sort of divide the Senate Democrats and score points for his oil and gas donors. What we are pushing our senators, particularly Senator Schumer, to get on board. And we've noticed that uh, some of our actions are working. We went to uh, his office in February, and then we went to his house. And shortly thereafter, he actually came out on the record and started giving speeches on climate change in the Senate, which is something he hasn't ever done. He's never talked about climate change in, in a while. And so, yeah, we're going to make Green New Deal front and center in 2019, particularly when it comes to the presidential primaries. Now, some of the Sunrise Movement members are younger than voters, and they've gotten some pushback from elected officials because they can't vote. And so what do you say to that? And what will your strategy be going into elections? And how will you convince elected officials that your voice matters as young people? 
Well, I like to think of uh, every time these young people show up to an action, that's them voting and that's them making their voice heard. And they're going to be voting really soon, even if they aren't today. And so this is just the direction we're heading in politically and socially. And this is uh, what our representatives are going to have to own up to. And that's why we're going to the first presidential debate uh 10,000 strong we're aiming for, and we're going to demand that all the Democratic uh, candidates talk about the Green New Deal. Because in 2016, if you recall, n neither uh, Ms. Clinton nor Mr. Trump m answered any questions about climate change during the general debates, and we're going to turn that around, and we're going to make them go on record. And what's your strategy for bringing climate change into the conversation this time around? How are you guys going to achieve that? Well, we start with telling our stories, like all of us have some personal connection to climate change. And the fact is, we're not going anywhere, right? Like, this is our movement's calling. And every single day, we add more people to this, uh, this growing movement. And it seems clear now that uh, it's inevitable that we are going to make this transition in some form or another. And those people that haven't decided that they're on board by now are just slowing us down. Now, there are a lot more candidates in the Democratic field than there were last time around. What are you looking for in terms of climate change from the Sunrise Movement in candidates? How are you judging them? Yeah, so uh, the cool thing is we have over... 100 co-sponsors of the Green New Deal resolution already. 14 of them are from New York alone, including Senator Gillibrand, who's running for office uh, for president, and six presidential candidates are co-sponsors already. And in addition to that, we have a, what's called the No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge, which is sort of a, a litmus test we use to get candidates to pledge that they won't take contributions from the oil and gas industry. Uh, so among those candidates who have signed our pledge include Gillibrand, Warren, uh, Bernie, Inslee. So that's something that we use to judge whether or not these candidates are on the side of the people or are beholden to corporate interests. Thank you so much both for joining me, Jonathan Kirsch from the Sunrise Movement and Lee Zishi from Sane Energy. Anything else you want to say, Jonathan, as we end our segment here today? Yeah, if you guys want to join us uh, for our next big Schumer action on April 12th, uh, it's going to be an escalated action outside of his office. And like I said, we're trying to turn this debate around. So if you guys want to join us as well uh, for the first presidential debate, wherever it ends up, we're going to be making a lot of noise about this. Thank you so much. And that's it for our show today. You're listening to Indie Radio News on WBAI 99.5. You can find us every, here every Monday at 6 p.m. Um, we're also having a new issue coming out this week. So look out for that on the streets of New York. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you next week. Together. I've got some real estate here in my bag. So we bought a pack of cigarettes and this is Wagner's eyes. She danced Sego John Kane here from WBAI's Let's Talk. Thursday, March 28th at 7 p.m., I am happy to bring back Jeff Doreen to the Brooklyn Commons with his special guest, Laura Kluge. 
Join us for a unique music experience with Jeff Doreen performing Beatles hits in Mohawk. Jeff lends his music skills and his language skills for a truly special evening. Laura will perform with Jeff in song and in her own spoken word performances. That's Thursday, March 28th at 7 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. There is no charge for admission, but donations for WBAI and the performers is strongly encouraged. Building Bridges, your community and labor report. From your workplace to your neighborhood, listen to the show that brings it all together. Building Bridges, your community and labor report, produced by Mimi Rosenberg and Ken Nash, bringing you news and analysis, local, national, and international. Monday nights, 7 p.m., we build bridges. Come on, neighbors. Let's get wise. So, the plaster is falling, the paint is peeling, the plumbing is leaking, the heat and hot water keep cutting off, the elevator keeps breaking down, and the landlord won't return your calls, but the rent keeps going up and up and up. Find out what you can do about it. Tune in to Housing Notebook, Mondays at 8 p.m. All your callers seem to be trapped by fear. They're afraid of chemtrails. Mm, not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Excessive consumerism, a, a consumption for profit system. And you're purveying this. That's not true either. You know, make an automobile that can be used as a form of transportation, but maybe not be wasteful and constantly need to be replaced. How do we know that you're not? a tool of the corporation trying to frighten us with GMOs and chemtrails. I'm not trying to frighten anyone. How do we know you're not an agent provocateur? I'm Jeff Brady, host of In Other News. Tune in Monday at its new time, 9 p.m., right here on WBAI 99.5 FM, New York. Welcome to Counterspin, your weekly look behind the headlines. I'm Janine Jackson. This week on Counterspin, many in media were critical of Ari Fleischer, former press secretary for George W. Bush, 